0: Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we talk about your 20 and 48 Detroit Pistons. Ben Galker and I talk about Sekou Dumbuya's pick sixes, how glad we are Dwayne Casey is coaching the team in the wake of the report about Indiana Pacers coach Nick Bjorkson, and Dervidis Dervidis, proving he can ball a little bit. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season, which is almost over, sadly. With all that said, it's time to go to work hello everyone welcome to this week's episode of the detroit bad boys podcast i am your host lazarus jackson pleased as always to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How are you doing, Ben?
1: Laz, I'm doing really well. Happy Mom's Day out there to any mothers we have listening. That'd be pretty sweet if we had moms listening. I would appreciate knowing that. If you're a mom and you listen, say hello. We'd love to know. But yeah, happy Mother's Day. Hope you remembered to call your mom, Laz.
0: I did. I FaceTimed. Well, we neither one of us have iPhones, so I Google Duoed my mom. <laughs> Saying I, saying I duoed my mom doesn't sound really yeah, good. Yeah, that's that's not that great. They got to work on that naming structure. But uh, she was at my grandmother's house actually oh, paying nice. her respects for Mother's Day. So I got to say hi to both of them. So that was pretty nice. But yeah, uh, how was how did your uh, Mother's Day experience go, Ben?
1: Good. Oh, man, this is like, I think our fourth, fourth one with my wife as a mom. Of course, said hello to my own mom and had a really nice... Take out brunch. So it was good. It's a good day.
0: That's good. That's good. And yeah, I mean, shout out to our respective moms and the mothers in our lives. I know my mom does not listen to this podcast. She prefers audiobooks, and that's fine. I still love her anyway. <laughs> but yeah, uh happy Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. Uh Ben, the Pistons, they've won twenty games. It's time to panic. They're not <laughs> gonna pick Second, they're gonna pick sixth or something. I don't I've been know. People, that. people were freaked out after the Memphis game, but uh, we're gonna talk about that actually a little bit later. But the thing I actually want to talk about was some of the guys who are playing well. And to start, I think it's let's start with Seku. Seku has been the biggest story, I think, this week. He's playing well for multiple games on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. For the week uh, for the last five games he's averaging thirteen points six rebounds and two assists he still can't hit an outside shot he's shooting twenty percent from three but that's not like that that's not taking the wind out of the, his sails in the way that it used to uh, what what's been your favorite part of watching Seku play the Seku Renaissance this week Ben the
1: Seiku sans uh, you know what I tell you the thing that I like the most. He's still doing the things that I've liked all season long, especially the running in transition. He had a couple finishes in transition this week that I thought were pretty nice, but I really liked uh, some of the off the dribble stuff that he had. He had some really nice, um, you know, had one spin move finish that I think he ended up finishing with his left hand. Uh, He had one nice Euro step two handed dunk that I think was kind of in like semi-transition secondary break. Uh, kind of a finish so yeah I mean th- those are things that we've seen extremely limited amounts of this entire season But he put the ball on the floor and, and he finished creatively and strongly uh, inside the paint and that's huge I love to see that this week
0: yeah my it's 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 great that we have multiple things to pull from <laughs> right. from the good that Sekou has done this week I was going to point out the playing the passing lanes he's had a couple of uh the pick sixes he had notably the one to to close the memphis game on jaron jackson jr he had one uh against the the sixers as well which uh didn't close the game but uh that's fine Uh, but yeah i've i've loved the way that he's starting to display his understanding of defensive concepts and rotations and he's turning that you know into he's making that actionable he's turning that into points on the other end of the floor and, and that's been really great to see because I, I do and I do continue to think that his defensive impact regardless of like how many points he scores or whatever his defensive impact is what's going to endear him to to the coaching staff and to uh this front office but yeah like part of me wants to part of me wants to just like take this for what it is Part of me hopes that this is like the uh, obviously the precursor to, to something bigger we've seen stretches like this from from Seku before but he does really look like he's getting better and I think that is a, a really encouraging sign for uh, a 20 year old
1: I think one of the things about this week that I appreciated um, was we talked about this either last week or the week before was having just a consistent role. Mm-hmm. And know knowing that you're not gonna get yanked for your first mistake, I think for such young players, that's that's huge. and it It appeared to me that Seiku wasn't playing to avoid mistakes, right? Like if that makes any sense, he was out there trying to make a positive impact. So you know, I think, you know, Casey's done a fantastic job with a number of the Pistons young players. The way he's handled Seku hasn't been as clear to me, but after this weeks' of play, you know, this week, a of, of pretty solid play. I mean, he, he played pretty solid each game for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Having a consistent role where he's not worried about mistakes, I don't know, I'm a big fan of that. I liked to see him get that opportunity for a handful of games.
0: No, absolutely. And I think even in the consistent role that he's had, he's been more impressive than, say, like Tyler Cook, which wasn't the case all the time earlier yeah. this season. And so this does indeed feel like, progression out of um, we and we are going to talk about the job Dwayne Casey has done in the locker room a little bit later on this podcast but first I want to talk about uh Killian Hayes and his his struggles this week that's kind of the the opposite of the uh of Seku's uh, rise in, in the French connection um Killian Hayes had probably his worst game of his career against Charlotte um you know seven turnovers um only two points if I remember correctly uh they and that was the second game of a back-to-back but still you, you hate you hate to see him play like that uh, he didn't play against the grizzlies and then he came out against the sixers and made some shots in garbage time which was which was good to see but it was also a little it's a little bit frustrating to see him like oh hey like you're you're gonna take the shots we you we anticipated you would take but like when the outcome of the game isn't in doubt and you just like it, it doesn't really feel like you're, you're You care about what's what's if they go in or not. So it's like now you take these shots. So so Ben, for you, which which was more like a high point or a low point? Would you get did you get higher during the the step back threes during the Philly game, or lower during the the seven turnovers for the Charlotte game?
1: Yeah, man, it was a rough week for Killian. It so I I will say on the whole the whole thing just felt sort of low. The Charlotte game obviously stands out. Yeah, like you could just see it on his expression how demoralized he looked like you could tell he knew he was struggling and, you know, he was struggling in a way, especially with the turnovers that were just so debilitating to the whole team. Right. Cause when you're, when your point guard, point guard is turning it over that frequently, it just, it short circuits the entire thing. Right. And, and everybody knew that. Uh, and it didn't help, you know, that he's, he's playing against ball. Who's doing his showboating and highlight yeah. passes and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's the second time He's faced that matchup and underperformed. So to me, I mean that one. That one felt really low. But yeah, I mean I like those step backs though, right? Like he's starting to get into a little bit of a rhythm there. So I'll take it. But yeah, on the whole, it was just a really tough week for Killian, especially against Charlotte.
0: Yeah, the I, I think I did in fact get lower during the uh, during the Charlotte game because because of what you talked about a little bit. Just the fact that you could see really that he he wanted this matchup he wanted this opportunity he wanted to go uh he wanted to go up against Lamelo and prove that you know he was able to do uh you know better better than him and win the game and for the second time in a row that didn't come to pass and you could tell it was it was written all over his face that he was like seeing this thing he like really wanted kind of elude his grasp and how frustrated that made him um it's it's been really interesting to see how You, you I like you. Forget these kids are nineteen. Sometimes, right? Mm. Without how how well they've played this season, Um, and it it makes a lot of sense for a nineteen-year-old to be frustrated with uh, what's occurring in front of them and not perform as well as perhaps you expect. Um, And so, but like, so I'm not like overly concerned about that. But at the same time, it was definitely more notable, right? Like, I think this is the type of thing that would have happened earlier in the season had he not gotten hurt he definitely would have had more of these worst games and he would have had a way to would have had to find a way to like punch his way through them uh, I think with only you know six or so games left in the year after that Charlotte game he gets less of an opportunity to do that and so he um, you know maybe what you hope is that he takes some of that frustration into the offseason and works on his game but you, you don't want him to like, be debilitated by uh, by that performance. And, you know, we saw him play well against Philly, so I don't think that's going to, like, you know, stay in his mind forever. But you know, I, I do kind of wish we had a little bit longer of a runway for,
1: for Killian to work through some of these mistakes he's made uh, late in the season. Well, I think it's also easy to forget, like, you know, even Sadiq Bey, who I think has kind of been the most consistent Pistons rookie, you know, he wasn't doing all the stuff he's doing now in the first couple of weeks, right? Like yeah. his leash was even relatively short. And I think he's probably had the longest one all season. And it took Stuart a little bit of it, uh, a little bit of time to get to where he's at now. And we're going to talk about how even he's struggling a bit the last couple of weeks. So I think you're absolutely right. The, the shortened abbreviated season as the result of the injury is something he's going to have to be mature beyond his years about because, Um, you know, it's a long season, even when it's abbreviated, like last season and this season was, um, but when you lose, you know, 60, 70% of it to an injury as a 19 year old rookie point guard on top of all of it. Yeah. You just don't get the chance to bounce back and that's gotta be super disheartening.
0: Yeah. In the Philly game though, we did get to see something, a little bit of something that you've been clamoring for on the podcast the last couple of weeks. We got to see some Killian Jeremy Grant minutes. What, what did you think of those Killian Jeremy Grant's minutes, uh, Ben? We got one assist out of it from Killian to Jeremy, so that was nice to see.
1: Yeah, it was nice to see, but it's also not very much, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty short, pretty abbreviated. I, I still really want to see more of it. I mean, Jeremy has missed so much time, obviously, as he's been resting and being shut down a little bit. Um, but seeing him play again, the thing that just jumped out is, you know, how dynamic he is with the basketball over and above anyone else on the roster and how much space he covers, right? He's, he's so long and athletic with and without the ball in his hands that I think as a point guard, when you have a weapon like that, playing off the ball that just changes the way you position yourself. It changes the way uh, you need to create angles for passes and look, they're going to have a real offseason, which is what they're going to need, I think. But I still really am looking forward to seeing that because I think, you know, there's some, there's just some really interesting things that I think Jeremy Grant is going to be able to do with a point guard who has the vision of Killian Hayes. You know, Killian's turnovers obviously this week were, were really difficult and really uh, harmful to the offense. But he does have, as we've discussed like just wonderful vision vision. And he can make really challenging, difficult passes. We've seen him do it. And I think when you've got a finisher and an athlete like Jeremy Grant, I think Killian's going to have a lot of fun doing that as well. Um, So yeah, I want to see more of it. Given the week that Killians had, you know, and given how much they're resting Jeremy, I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of it. But you know, I think next year, after they've had an entire off season, a real off season, to work together. I'm still pretty optimistic and pretty excited to see it, yeah,
0: I'm optimistic in the long term as well. And in the short term, you know, I just looked at the injury report. Jeremy is questionable. All the other vets are out, and Jeremy okay. is questionable. So maybe we see some more of that connection uh, this afternoon or this tonight <laughs> against Chicago. We are recording prior to the Chicago game. It hasn't happened yet. Don't blame us for whatever <laughs> happens. Uh, but yeah, i'm I'm encouraged by, and I will. I'm I'm sure that they will develop chemistry in the off season and with uh you know in the beginning of next season. I'm sure that that will come. They're they're both too talented to not play well off of each other. And obviously, we'll have there'll be some additions. Uh, you know, the team is going to make some changes during the off season. We'll have different uh, players to worry about how they integrate into a lineup. But I'm I'm not I'm not worried about those two guys uh, interacting and mixing well at all. That's something I feel pretty confident about. Um, you know, a, a guy we've been confident about, but who didn't exactly have the best week, then was Isaiah Stewart. Um, Isaiah Stewart, in the last four games, he's averaging nine points and seven rebounds, which sounds fine, but he's only shooting 37% from the floor and 13% from three. That's really bad. He's averaging closer to four fouls a game, um, and his career average is like a little below three. Um, I do love the fact that he's taking a lot of threes um, but I do kind of I do kind of wonder if that's affecting his confidence level Um, but Ben it it took 60 games but I think Isaiah Stewart has finally hit the rookie wall
1: (laughs) yeah and the wall won at least for the last week (laughs) Um, yeah we talked about you know how many threes is too many He's like, he's right on the tipping point right now <laughs> because obviously that shot's just not as consistent as he would want it to be. To me, it looked like the shot not falling and not just not falling, but like just brutal misses, just some really awful misses. It looked like that in his head a little bit. I think the fouls maybe were a little bit of a manifestation of that frustration. And then that just takes him out of the game. So it all sort of You know, it's like a snowball rolling downhill, right? Like, it was all really frustrating. Um, But you got to take it as a body of work. Um, You know, he's way ahead of, even with the the recent struggles, he's way ahead of where anyone thought he was going to be. He's going to get the chance to continue to, you know, play through this over the next handful of games. Um, I I still love him. I'm still super excited about him. But, yeah, that rookie wall just just hit fiercely this week. That's all there is to it, I think.
0: Yeah, he's... He took four threes against the Sixers and made two of them. Mm-hmm. Like, one of them was the 28-foot the bank, which is, like, you're probably not going to make that shot every time he shoots it. Um, and I think he took five threes against the Grizzlies, and I think he only made one of them. But, again, like, he, we, we talked about this last week. He's going to have to take those shots in order to reach his offensive potential as a, a guy who starts in this league. And I talked about this a little bit with uh, PD Web on my other podcast, Pistons versus Everybody. I'm not doing this on purpose, I swear. Um, but he talked a little bit about how uh, he need he wanted to see Isaiah Stewart take more threes with uh, and get his footwork in a better place. Because if the only way that Isaiah Stewart is going to take and make threes is with perfect footwork, and if everything is set up perfectly and designed perfectly, then that doesn't really like reflect. That doesn't really make him an offensive weapon. It just makes him like a guy who can uh, consistently do things under like perfect condition conditions. And defenses are never going to allow you to have a perfect condition if they think that you can accomplish the thing. And so uh, he said like he wanted to see Isaiah, Isaiah like take more threes with without like you know doing amazing footwork setup. And we we saw a lot of that in the Memphis and Phoenix or F- Phoenix Philadelphia games. And I'm. I'm encouraged that, like, somebody in the coaching staff got into his ear and was like, take these shots regardless. Um, and, again, this is the end of the season. So, like, this is, this is process over results time. And so I'm more happy with um, the fact that he's taken threes than the fact that he struggled. The thing I was more concerned about was the fouling uh, in, in the Charlotte game, in, in the Philadelphia game. It feels like he's getting a really uh, rough whistle lately. And with as hard as he plays, it does always feels like there's going to be the opportunity for him to get a rough whistle consistently. And so I do hope he masters some of those like big man, dark arts that allow him to uh, contest shots and fight for post position and, you know, seal guys off without picking up unnecessary fouls. And I think that'll come in time.
1: I think it will. And, you know, regarding the jumper, you know, it, If you've never stood out in a gym and tried to take one NBA three after another, like the difference between a college three and an NBA three feels really significant. And especially for a kid who you think about, you know, in his college career, this wasn't a thing, right? Like he he wasn't locked in a whole bunch of threes, certainly not four and five a game. Mm -hmm. So this is all super new to him um and it just doesn't happen overnight it's going to take hours and hours and hours and thousands and thousands and thousands of reps and i think that's a really interesting observation about footwork because if you're in the gym you're trying to master your fundamentals right you're trying to get that done first so i think the next step is probably the off balance the you know coming off of the wrong leg all of that kind of stuff is what was what you work on next after you've got the fundamentals down so you know, I'm super interested to see what his range and jumper looks like to start after an entire offseason focusing on that kind of stuff.
0: No, exactly. And we we see we've seen better footwork out of him from shorter distances. And it has looked like pretty clear that like he's he's more comfortable taking, you know, 17 footers and three pointers. It's just that we, we all know that there's less value in a 17-footer than a 3-pointer. Just, you know, one is worth 2 and one is worth 3. <laughs> but but yeah, I'm 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 also encouraged and hopeful to see where this goes uh, for the future for him. Speaking of hopeful, Davidas Servitas, 8.6 <laughs> rebounds and not totally lost on defense against the Philadelphia 76ers in 24 minutes, which I believe is a career high. Ben, did you did you like what you see? what you saw
1: Do you like what you saw out of davidas yeah i think career highs pretty much across the board points minutes rebounds all that kind of stuff so career game at the end of the season obviously encouraging to see yeah the thing that stood out to me was not being totally lost on defense because that is what's going to endear him i think to use your to borrow your terminology um you know he had one really nice sequence and help defense where Uh, He got there in time. I forget who the ball handler was, but, you know, kind of squatted at the ball, knocked it out of bounds off the offensive player, resulting in a turnover. So that's obviously something um, you're going to want to see in any Coach Casey-coached team. We've heard a lot about that jumper and and how pure it is. He had a couple just all net, don't even glaze the rim sort of jump shots that went down. Uh, So that's good to see. Um, I mean, it's enough, like when you see a stretch of minutes like that from a player, to me, it's enough to see, Hey, how much more of that is there? And could that be there? Uh, you know, a handful of games in a row, we obviously don't know what he's doing in practice, but you know, that jumper, that sort of activity defensively from a really young player. I don't know that I think it commands some more attention and a little bit more time to close out the season. Um, another one of these guys who's just still super young, uh, that we don't know a whole lot about. I'm, I'm also not saying anything about the tank, but I think it, it can't hurt the tank either, right? So yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more out of Servetus, I think.
0: No, I I totally agree with you. And I think Dwayne Casey agrees with you as well. He said uh, said after the game, uh, Servetus is one of their hardest workers in practice, which uh, could just be coach talk, but I believe because he doesn't have much else to do. And so I understand like, it makes a lot of sense for him to be working hard. Um, and I do think we will get to see more of Davidas before the end of the year, uh, if for no other reason than like he, he played really well when he was given a lot of time. And so and Coach Casey is a guy who likes to reward guys who perform well. And so like yeah, let's absolutely do this uh, with Davidas. But the, the thing that really stood out to me on a longer on a longer watch was, um, he's six, eight. Yeah. he's tall. Uh, and he gets the ball the ball comes out of his hands really quickly and it's hard to block a six eight guy shot especially when it comes out that quick and so if he's as accurate or if he gets to be as accurate as he is portrayed to be and expected to be in the future like that that is a legitimate weapon right um uh, that is a. Uh, you know that's that's how like Joe Ingles has like built his career, basically. I mean, Joe Ingles is much better like playmaker and everything, but you know, just being a, a tall a tall guy who can stand in the corners and make threes is like definitely one way you can make an NBA living. And so i i I know we we've had some uh, we've had some concerns about the methods under which Servetus was was brought to the Pistons. We we wondered aloud about the the value of using the the thirty seventh overall pick. On a guy that none of us had heard of, and was represented by a family member of the Pistons' business operations. But if he can actually play, he can actually play, and uh, we can uh, sweep some of that stuff under the rug. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing whether or
1: not he can play in these final five games uh, of the season. Well, and not even 21 years old yet, right? Yeah. Like you got. I think, I forget which game it was. They put up the graphic this week during the game. Pistons have the most players in the league under 22 or, or something like that. I mean, you've got him. He's a super low risk, potentially sort of higher reward contract, you know, making under a million dollars this season on, on the books. Um, yeah. I mean, let, let's see what he's got and give him some time. Don't give up too soon.
0: No, definitely. I mean, I, I expect to see a lot of him with the Cruz next season, yeah. but like, still, again, 6A dudes who can shoot. You you want those guys around uh, just to see if they can hack it as NBA players. So the uh, next thing I want to talk about, Ben, was actually not related to the Pistons. It's related to the Indiana Pacers. Did you see the Bleacher Report article about uh, the head, their head coach, Nate Bjorkson? I sure did. That was a, uh, a pretty damning report and a very um, – is. is is, is kind of hard to read, honestly. Um, you, you, No one likes to be, uh, you know, characterized as difficult to work with, but this this guy really truly does seem difficult to work with. And now to swing it back around to the Pistons, it, it made me just more appreciative of the work and the job that Dwayne Casey has done this year for the Pistons, Ben, because, you know, they're, it, it always, like, we can't take competence for for granted especially in in a small market team like like the Detroit Pistons
1: I think that's entirely correct and I think this was the Charlotte game where um, one of the times Killian exited the floor um, you know I saw coach kind of trot up to where Killian was exiting you know just gave him a fist a good solid fist bump and a swat on the butt you know like obviously everyone know Killian was struggling it'd be really easy for a coach to let out some frustration but it was clear that wasn't what the moment required right and so that's not what casey provided um yeah i mean there's so many things about this this article that honestly are like the mirror image of coach casey like you could see coach casey doing the exact opposite of what's happening in indiana especially when you think about look i mean he was brought here to to push a team into the playoffs And instead, what's happened is the complete opposite of that, a a total and thorough rebuild. And we've seen nothing but professionalism, um, nothing but an embrace of the community, right? I mean, a a summer ago in particular, uh, you know, he he really joined with his players in the community and everything that was happening then. Um, And there has not been, I cannot, I literally cannot recall a single instance of controversy, right? Like you just can't imagine even one of these things um, coming out related to Dwayne Casey, because all we hear about is positive stuff. So we can't take competence for granted. I agree with you. Um, You also can't take character for granted. And I think that's something the Pistons are trying to instill uh, top down right now. And and I really think it has started with Dwayne Casey. Um, You know, he's, he's obviously a high character human being. He cares about his players, the development of his players, We saw that recently against San Antonio. I think you brought up how he checked in with, you know, DeMar DeRozan and that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, it's, I don't always love everything that happens in the rotations or the X's and O's, but I think that's going to be true with any coach. I absolutely love the way Dwayne Casey has approached the job through all the non-basketball stuff. And I think he commands and deserves a lot of respect for the way he's handled the transition focus from, you know we're going to be a team that's fighting for the playoffs. To we're going to be a team that's fighting for the, the number one pick, in maybe three <laughs> or four years from now, uh, fighting for the playoffs. And it, it it's a it's a real credit to him that no article could be penned uh, like the one we saw about Indiana this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it it appears that the in the in the case of the Pacers, like that is in fact what went wrong. Right the the front office went into their coaching staff. Or went into their coaching search with uh, they wanted a real like X's and O's tactician um, to, to helm their team that they were expecting, you know, to still be a, a playoff team. And in doing so, they neglected a lot of the relationship building and the character aspects that come with, you know, being the head coach of an NBA basketball team. It's and like, we, we kind of, people have joked that like, you know, head coaches don't do much uh, in the NBA because, you know, star players do everything. And LeBron is the actual coach of the Lakers and, and things like that. But the more I the older I get and the more I realize that like the NBA just like really is just like a workplace. Like everybody knows what it's like to work for a manager who sucks. And everybody also knows or hopefully more people also understand the, the real good. A, a like good manager can do for you in your career, and and your your day to day work, um, and it is it is so much better for the Pistons rebuild that they are uh, being managed by somebody who has a interest in elevating the people uh, underneath them, as opposed to just like forcing them to fit into roles that they're specifying, or or you know in the case of Bjorkson like you know, tearing down some of his subordinates in order to like make a point. And so like, yeah, you, you use the word character, Ben. I think that was an excellent word choice. I'm mad. I didn't think of it. (laughs) I I am also just ecstatic that the Detroit Pistons have someone with the character of Dwayne Casey running their team. I think it's important to say that at the end of a season in which the Pistons are like, probably not going to win like 20 games, 21 games. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's just so many opportunities for something to go wrong when you're losing this much. You know, even though everybody knows there's these losses are with a purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. the closest we've seen to anything getting out of control was kind of Blake Griffin turning heel when he came back to Detroit. But even then, look at the way Casey handled it. He just chose not to respond. I think that sets a, a fantastic example for his players. And uh, you know, I, it's it, it doesn't have to go like you don't have to go that far back in time to think about um you know sort of the end of the joe dumars tenure when you were just cycling through one coach oh, after another yeah. yeah and you sort of had the locker room mutiny you had taste tracy mcgrady i think it was you know making fun of the coach on the bench and like all of that mess is just not here right now and that's that's a win for everybody absolutely
0: all right uh i didn't want to i don't know how to make this a whole segment and i don't know how to talk about this for like more than 30 seconds but i did think it was hilarious that hamadou diallo scored 35 points and is like immediately nailed to the bench just like <laughs> nothing in the injury report uh it's like he's just out we don't want to see him anymore he's too good sorry guys you get, <laughs> you get more davidus servetus <laughs> uh okay the uh next thing i want to do was the tank watch tank watch yeah So Houston's at 16 wins. You can't catch Houston. Uh, Detroit and Minnesota are both at 20 wins, and they play each other later this week. And then we have Orlando, Cleveland, and Oklahoma City at 21 wins. If Detroit loses out, they have the second-best lottery odds since they play Minnesota, the only other 20-win team. And if Detroit loses out, there could be a giant like car crash at twenty one wins between Minnesota, Orlando, Cleveland, Oklahoma City, and uh, yeah, in Oklahoma City, the car crash, the like four or three way tie between all those teams will be resolved by literal coin flips. I learned this, Ben. They don't like do like they don't do like uh, they do like head to head, obviously, um, but they don't for for playoff positioning. But for lottery positioning, they just flip coins. It's like you literally could go from like the fifth best odds oh, to the sixth best odds <laughs> with the right.
1: flip of a coin. <laughs> that's what you get when you're terrible, I guess.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the Cleveland fans are, are freaking out. Um, the other thing for Tank Watch is that there's a big tanking game tonight. I will be checking in on this game while I watch Pistons Bulls. The Minnesota Timberwolves and Orlando Magic play each other. And Pistons fans actually want Orlando to win that game because that's the last game they probably are going to win this season, which would put them at 20, the magic at 22 wins, which is more buffer room because the Pistons can make Minnesota win 21 games. It all is it, the the logistics and the, the math. And the jumbling I have had to do, Ben, over the last couple of weeks to keep track of this tanking stuff is ridiculous.
1: Well, I appreciate you facilitating interesting conversations on Twitter with various other NBA (laughs) team (laughs) fan bases. So that's worth a look. If you're not following Laz on Twitter, go check that out. Because that that always produces something interesting. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. But yeah, the important thing for Pistons fans to know, if they don't win win any more games, they finish with the second best record. Just like that's that's it. who knows whether or not they win any more games this season but if they don't that's what you can expect. All right Ben the the Pistons thing that's annoying me this week surprised it surprised me when I when I was thinking to myself about what was annoying me this week. I complained about him missing jumpers but I kind of missed Mason Plumley It was nice <laughs> oh, to have man. Mason Plumley back in my life. Um, I'm a little annoyed that they, they brought him back to facilitate this this, uh, chemistry with Killian Hayes. And A, Mason Plumley's not playing, so that can't happen. B, when Mason Plumlee does play, the two guys are never on the floor together, uh, and so they can't develop any of that chemistry. Um, He played against Philadelphia, and I think uh, Killian was on the floor of like zero of his minutes. And so, like, yeah, I'm, I'm slightly annoyed that we don't get any, you know, I helped... Damon CJ become who they are I helped you know I ran some pick and rolls with Jamal Murray once upon a time here's how you do things young grasshopper like Mason Plumley action late in the season what uh what's been annoying you about the Pistons this week Ben?
1: Well, I think this week I came to the realization that I will be a happier human being if i never see Wayne Ellington take another three-point <laughs> shot in a Pistons uniform I got no disrespect for the man, you know, this is his second go around, but I think I'm ready for it to be done, my friend. I think I'm ready.
0: He he will always be the significant recruiting victory. <laughs> Godspeed, Wayne. All right, Ben, the Pistons play the Bulls tonight. They play Minnesota in a must-lose game on Tuesday, and they play the Nuggets on Friday and then the final game of the regular season, they play the Miami Heat a week from today on Sunday. This is the last week of Pistons basketball, then. This,
1: this has been a weird season.
0: What, what are we going to do when it's over?
1: Well, I'm going to watch some good basketball. After <laughs> after boycotting the play-in games, I'm going to watch some good basketball and enjoy the playoffs. But I'm telling you, this feels like, <laughs> this is so weird to say, this feels like the most significant three consecutive games that i thought about as a Piston for several years. So a lot of important things could happen this week, I'll say that.
0: Ooh. The play-in games should be entertaining, perhaps not like amazing basketball, but entertaining, especially if they heavily feature LeBron James
1: and Stephen Curry, which could happen in the... See, games. that that is true, and that, that will be entertaining. I agree with you about that. Yeah. But I feel like... All right, let me pull up the standings real quick to make sure my information is not super out of date here. But like any time, like if you look at the East in particular, like you've got currently as it stands today, three of the four playoff play in teams with losing records. Like what an exercise in futility, right? Like you're already going to have at least one team with a losing record in both conferences, it appears, going into the regular playoffs. So let's have more losing teams play each other to see if we can get more losing teams in the one through eight. I don't know, man. I just don't know if I'm
0: a fan of that. Well, think about what it's done for the Pistons this year in particular, right? It has prevented the Wizards from tanking. It's prevented the Pacers from tanking for the most part. Uh it confused the Raptors to the point where they didn't trade Kyle Lowry at the <laughs> deadline and commit one way or the other, right? It it gives teams something to pursue. Uh, and like with the with the lottery odds in the place that they're at, it makes sense to try and make the playoffs. If you can make the playoffs and still finish under five hundred, and so like I I think it's on whole, I think it's a positive development for the league. Um, but yeah, having teams like three games under five hundred play having played a team four games under five hundred. For the right to lose to a team 15 games
1: over 500 right <laughs> not
0: exactly like the the best use of
1: time but it'll yeah, be fun you you did a very good job of explaining like from the league perspective what the benefits are and i i think you're right you stated that case very very well the west coast is going to be much more interesting than the east coast though, i'll say that for sure
0: yeah i you wonder if like adam silver would like to just like carve out an exception it's like okay guys like uh don't shut Zion down for the year and he gets to play in the Eastern play and we're gonna put Zion right. on TV. Just please watch our games. Right. <laughs> All right, Ben. This has been fun, man. It's been a, this has been a it's been a fun year of Pistons basketball with you.
1: I appreciate that, man. I, I tell you, I would have lost I would have lost interest, but like the pod keeps me engaged, which I appreciate because it's fun to talk about. Uh, it's fun to talk about with you every week. It's fun to talk about the folks who listen. We connect with people on Twitter and in the comments. It absolutely makes the games worth watching, even when Gillian Hayes is turning it over 14 times a game. I'll say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and where can people do that? Where can people uh, talk to you?
1: You can talk to me at BRGolker on Twitter. I'm going to be on Team DVR this week, so probably not a whole lot live, but come playoffs in particular, I'll talking about things non-pistons so so let's connect it'll be fun
0: i i was on team dvr last night we uh we had dinner it was lovely uh it's very warm in north carolina right now so it's nice time to have dinner outside um i will be dutifully watching these final games Uh, my wife is not convinced that the season will end on sunday like i told her it would (laughs) Uh, and so i gotta i gotta overcome that hurdle but in the meantime you can uh you can resonate with my struggle on twitter at Last Chance, that's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. See you.